0: Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10:30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, Christ Community Church. That ah, wasn't too bad. Well, just a few things before we get going, and why the uh, parents take the kids back to. Uh, back to uh, children's ministry. Um, uh, First of all, um, be sure if you grabbed a bulletin to take it home with you. If you didn't grab a bulletin, be sure to grab a bulletin and take it home with you. And you'll find in the middle there prayer requests. And so, you know, be just take a few minutes every day, open that up and go to the Lord with prayer for whatever needs are there. I would, and you can pretty much do this. Hey Ron, um, <laughs> you pretty much can do this all summer long, be praying for all the people that are traveling, because a lot of people are. Um, I, you know, I, I try to only go on Facebook once a day, and then I go, and I see so many of you on a beach somewhere, and then I have to repent um, your poor pastor's stuck. At home with three demon puppies. Um, I and mean, that's all I've had this week. Megan, and speaking of traveling, uh, Megan and her family are in Colorado. Uh, her mom earned a degree, and so she'll be graduating this morning. And so Megan and her mom, and her dad, and her, you know, and her and her aunt are all out in Colorado Springs right now. She was in Denver all week for for work because that's where our headquarters are for the Solomon Foundation. And it was, um, she's still getting used to flying a lot. For those of us who have, you know, flown a lot, and, you know, I didn't quite hit my dad's status. I, know, I don't think I ever hit over a million miles, but I came close. And uh, so I've done a lot of traveling. And I got this text from Megan on Tuesday, and she said, she'd just taken off. She flew from Cincinnati to Dallas and then Dallas to Denver. And she'd just taken off, and she said, the plane is fishtailing. Dot dot dot. Am I going to die? To which me being me, I go, Well eventually, but but not from the plane. No, that's normal. That's they're just they're catching a little, you know, they're catching a little turbulence, they're trying to speed their way through it, it's no big deal. So she's getting used to that. She'll be flying back this week, but I've been batching it all week. Um, coming up this fall, we will be launching We hope to be launching a series of them, but the first one will be here. It'll happen in September, I'll let you know the date. Uh, But I will be leading a small group Bible study here probably in the Student Center on Tuesday evenings. Now, it'll probably be around 6.30, and what we'll do is we'll probably just play some stupid game for 15, 20 minutes, and we'll jump into a Bible study for probably 30, 40 minutes, and we'll take prayer requests, and we'll go home. And, you know, it's first come, first serve. We have had some volunteers say they could provide some childcare every once in a while. So, you know, we can't be overwhelmed with kids, but, you know, we'll take that as, as it comes. But, and then what we hope is that you guys will see this and go, oh, okay, that's how you do it. I mean, you probably do it better than me, but it's still, it's, that's the template. And then you guys start your own small groups. That's the goal, but that'll be this Tuesday night. And I had to do it on Tuesday night You know, because as soon as I announce these things, everybody's like, well, can't you do it on? No, I can't. And the reason for that is I have, you know, I'm trying to do a finish up PhD. I have class on Monday nights and the professors pick the class times. I don't. Seven to 11 on a Monday night. Uh, Like Mondays aren't bad enough. Um, So class on Monday night, Wednesday nights, at least once a month, we have all team staff meeting. Thursday nights are women's Bible study, and Friday nights, all you people, most of you go and worship at the pagan altar of high school football. So let's just be honest. So Tuesday night's the only night I can do it, and so that's where we will be going. The other real quick, for those of you who've ever been on Saturday night, because he usually comes on Saturday night, but most of you know him. He has been one of our trustees slash elders here uh, for 20-some years, and uh, the Reverend Colonel Dr. Pat Apel, Esquire, has moved back to Portsmouth, Ohio. And uh, he was here at church last night, and so he'll be around. He's having a little trouble uh, getting around. He's had some physical problems, so if you know him, get in touch with him, um, You know, and go have, have a cup of coffee with him, or go have a meal with him, or whatever. Pat's a great guy. Uh, Dad and Norm Campbell and I were trying to rack our brains. Was, okay, who, you know, who who do we want to fill Pat's place? And as soon as we were like narrowing the list down, Pat's going, "I'm coming home." It's like, oh, okay, we're not filling your place. You take your place, buddy. You're you're back. So that was that. So we are continuing our series, The Gospel Project, and we get to the character, and he's a character of Jacob. Jacob. Now, the stuff I'm covering today runs from Genesis 25 to Genesis 33. Don't worry, we were out early last night. I can't read all of that. I'm just gonna summarize, and then later on, we're gonna hit a few verses out of chapter 32, Genesis 32. So if you have Bibles, you wanna go ahead and get them over to where we'll be spending most of the time, it'll be chapter 32. Now, to put Jacob's life into perspective, here's the deal. You had Abraham called by God, said, through you, I'm going to create this nation of my people. And so Abraham says, great problem. Don't have any kids. And God says, don't worry, I'll take care of that. Abraham gets frustrated. Abraham and Sarah get frustrated. They decide to take things into their own hands. And so Abraham has a child out of wedlock. Tradition tells us, That child grew up basically to be the father of the Muslim nations. And then when God finally did give them a child, Isaac, he became the father of the Jewish nation. So thanks, Abraham, for that wonderful, peaceful Middle East we have. This is what happens when God says, I'm going to do something. You're like, yeah, but we need to get it going now. You know, I tell people this all the time. There's no such thing as an unanswered prayer. There's no such thing. You may not like the answer you get, but there's no such thing as an unanswered prayer. God answers prayers in three ways. Yes, no, not yet. And where we have a problem, and where Jacob has a problem, and Isaac, you, know, all, you see this again and again and again throughout the Old Testament, is these people have the problem with the not yet. And Jacob's got a problem with that too. See, Isaac, Abraham's child, through which the Messiah will come, the nation of Israel will come. Isaac has two sons, Esau, the oldest, and Jacob. But God prophesies, he tells Isaac, the younger, the older will serve the younger. In other words, Jacob is the blessed one. He is the one in which the Messiah will come. I have made this choice. Okay, but the problem is, the culture, the way we always do things, and this is the way everyone gets started, this is, you, we get in trouble, churches get in trouble, anytime you go into, but the way we've always done things. Well, the way we've always done things is the eldest son always gets the land, the property, the business, all that kind of stuff. And the younger one, he's a hired hand. That's how this works. So, Isaac plans to say, yeah God I know what you said but the way things are done down here is the eldest son gets the blessing now then you have Rebecca the wife and Jacob they conspire together to trick poor old Isaac and Isaac is old as dirt and we're talking triple digits we're talking serious age and with no health care. So you're talking about he's, his eyesight is pretty much gone. He's almost deaf. And what they do is they dress Jacob up like Esau. He fixes up. Jacob fixes up some kind of stuff that usually Esau kills because Esau's the hunter of the family. I'll get to that in a minute. And takes it to dad and says, give me my blessing. And Isaac's like, that doesn't sound like Esau. And Jacob's like, no, 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 take my word for it. And so, you know, Isaac gives Jacob the blessing. And Esau comes in and says, whoa, 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 hold on a second. That's mine. You stole my blessing. Now, I know what people say. They say, oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Just a while back before that, Esau stumbles in one day after he's been hunting all day, because Esau is the hunter. Esau Esau is the dude's dude in this family. Jacob is the guy who kind of follows his mom around and you know he's kind of the guy Ferrari of the family. He likes to cook and all that kind of stuff. And Esau's kind of the bare grills of the family. He's outside all the time. You know, Esau's the kind of guy that's got like five gun cabinets in modern age. You know, he's that dude. And so Esau comes back and says, wait a minute. That's mine. Give it to me. And Isaac's like, can't do that. I said, why can't you do that? Well, this is the irony because the way things are done down here, the way the culture is, it is you pronounce a blessing, it's like a contract. If you have a contract with somebody and then you make the same contract with somebody else in law, what happens to that second contract? Gets tossed. Bye bye. Same thing here. But what and I always thought this was funny Jacob does not think things through. He says, I know God promised it to me, but I want it now, so I'm going to go get it myself, and I'm going to trick the hunter in the family. So what does he do? He runs. He pulls an Usain Bolt, and he takes off. He has to. You just ticked off the hunter in the family. And everybody uses that. Every time I go through this, everybody says, yeah, but Esau sold his birthright because he was, he was so hot-headed, he was so impetuous, and he didn't deserve the blessing. Anyway, hold on a second. Have you thought this through? Who's the hunter in the family? So when Jacob is cooking stuff up, Jacob is cooking stuff that Esau brought home. And so Esau, after he's been hunting all day for the family, comes home and says, I'm hungry. Jacob says, sell me your birthright. Esau's like, what is that to me? Just I'm I'm about ready to die here. Sell it to me. Okay. And we say, see, Esau got what he deserved. No, Jacob's a jerk. Your brother who's out hunting all day brings home the, the food, and you're sitting there preparing the food that he brought home, and he says he's hungry. What do you do? You fix him a bowl, and you shut up. But that's not Jacob. He's deceptive. He's a manipulative person, conspiring to get, to take what God had already promised to give him. Now, and he doesn't stop there. We'll, we'll get here, when we get to Genesis 32, we will see that Jacob just continues, even after decades, he continues to be a manipulative person. And I remember the first time that I read through this. When I came to Christ at 25, I took the Bible that my sister Allie had given me, I blew the dust off of it, and I started reading from Genesis 1 through, and I get here, and I'm reading this, and I've already gone through Abraham and Isaac, and now here's this guy. And I was like, God chose this guy? Why? I don't like this guy. I don't like him at all. Why would God choose that kind of person? Because you need to understand something about manipulation, Jacob's a, a manipulator. Manipulation is when you use whatever tools at your disposal, especially emotionally, to twist the other person's emotions so that you get what you want. You try to control other people. You try to direct other people. The problem with that is the only person who does that well is God. People are lousy at it. And the reason we do it, I'll talk about justification here in a second, but the reason we do it is purely out of selfishness. It's a completely selfish move. And we've all done it, and we've all had it done to us. Ever received the silent treatment? I'm an introvert. That's not really a punishment to me, but whatever. But, and I know it can be innocent. Let me give you an example. Since my wife is out of town and currently at her mother's graduation, which means she's not watching this, she won't watch the recording. It's okay. I'm gonna throw her under the bus. You won't tell anybody, right? Okay, good. All throughout the pandemic, my wife kept asking for a dog. She wanted a dog. I wanted no dogs. But then she graduates with her master's degree She gets a new job, big promotion. She asks for a dog. I say, go find a dog. She brings home a dog. The breed is a dorky. That is a Yorkie demon mix. The reason we have a dorky is lack of research. We get this. Little dog. Now, I get along with the dog fine because the dog is afraid of me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't hit the dog or kick the dog or anything like that. I just, you know, he'd start doing something. I'd say, no, and he'd just stop. And if he didn't stop, I'd just pick him up, put him in his crate, close the crate, and sit there. You know, kind of doggy time out, whatever you want to call it. And so, you know, and I would do that. But when he was around Megan, he's chewing on all the furniture. He's peeing on everything. She, you know, tries to take something away from him. He bares his teeth at her, all this other kind of stuff. I'm like, Megan, honey, you gotta learn to be firm with the dog. You have to be the pack leader, not a member of the pack. You gotta be firm with the dog. She goes, show me what you mean. He starts doing something, said, Bogey, no. I said, you try it. She goes, Bogey, no you know what firm means? So I do some research. This time I do research. And believe it or not, here is what two or three articles I found. You have an unruly puppy, one of the answers, if, you, if training doesn't work, and I paid $1,000 for it to shake my hand and nothing else. That's not what I asked him to do, but that's what I got. And so I was like, okay, that didn't work. And so I go online, and I look, and it actually says, believe it or not, if you have an unruly puppy, get another puppy. Because the puppies will basically just focus on each other. They'll just play with each other and all this other kind of stuff. And so this, I do some research. She goes, okay, you can have another puppy, but I have veto over the breed. And so she finds this dog she wants, and I look it up, mini golden doodle. Perfect. Get her. Bacall, bogey, and Bacall. She best behaved dog I've ever had, and it worked. It worked. They quit chewing on everything. They're just chasing each other around. Like remember Benny Hill from the old? or Benny Hill? Remember that? Just chasing each other around the house all the time. They're wearing each other out. It's great. And then one day, my wife takes the two dogs to the groomer. And I get a text five minutes after she's been at the groomer. Groomer's right down the street from her house. Like, what is going on? I gave her money. What's I found another puppy? I said, we'll give it back. (laughs) You don't understand. Yes, I do. No more puppies. So She found this, they were trying to give this puppy away, and it had been in a box for like two and a half months. Little shorty. Little teeny tiny thing. So she comes home, two dogs are groomed. You know, if you've met my wife, she is talkative. All day long, silence like a Catholic church on Tuesday afternoon, silence. Nothing. Megan, you all right? Yeah. I get this for hours, hours, hours. I go, Megan, you're trying to manipulate me by pouting. Manipulation is wrong. We've had this conversation. You're not getting a third puppy. Three hours later, she had a third puppy. Anyway, um, okay, that can be innocent. Okay, that kind of manipulation Says I knew what she was doing, but I'm crazy about her. She wanted, I I saw by the end of the day, no, she really wants this thing. She's not even the kind of person, she's not even gonna be able to sleep. No, and this thing's sitting in this cardboard box by itself all night, go get the puppy, so she goes get the puppy, so be it. But let me give you scenario number two. Now, because I've been doing this for 20 years, and there are even people out of town who watch this stream, I have learned the hard way never to use real-life examples, make them up. So I'm telling you, I make, because I will start talking about an example, and people start to look at me like, I thought that counseling session was confidential. I'm not, I don't use any names. It doesn't matter. I get the stink eye. So this is based on no one in this congregation or, to my knowledge, has ever been in this congregation. Let's call him Uncle Bob. Uncle Bob, let's say that when you were five years old, You wanted to play baseball, or you wanted to play softball. Your parents didn't have the money, and Uncle Bob goes and signs you up, buys you a glove, oils it up, puts, you know, wraps it up and all that kind of stuff. That's Uncle Bob. That's your Uncle Bob. Flash forward 40 years. You are now 45 years old. Uncle Bob is retired. Uncle Bob is widowed. Uncle Bob lives in his house. He sits in front of the TV all day long. You go to see Uncle Bob. Maybe you bring Uncle Bob some coffee. You sit down and you visit with Uncle Bob. And after an hour, you get up to leave. And Uncle Bob goes, are you leaving already? And you go, yeah, Uncle Bob, I gotta get, gotta get home. And you hear, okay, I'll just sit here by myself. Ever had that one? That's called manipulation. And folks, manipulation is a sin. And I see it all the time, all the time, especially within families. Well, I guess our family just won't be all together this Thanksgiving. Well, I guess I'm just a burden to everyone. Right? That is manipulation. Okay. Now, you think about this, Uncle Bob. But okay, so how do we deal with Uncle Bob? Okay, first things first, you, you think this back. I mean, like, you know, I, I wish that I could do, like, the Vulcan mind meld with the Uncle Bobs of the world and be like, did you really think that when you gave this kid a glove at five that, you know, a, 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 an IOU came with it? Like, you, you know, if he knew at five he was signing up for this, would he even take in the glove? I mean, come on. But it didn't happen that way. So when you deal with manipulative people, and we all will at some point, number one, you have to recognize it for what it is. And you'd be surprised at how many people do not recognize it for what it is. Too many people suffer from what Christian counselors call false guilt. False guilt is people make you feel guilty when there is no scriptural or objective reason for you to feel guilty. None that's false guilt. So recognize it for what it is. Okay? That person's trying to manipulate me. Number 2, call it out for what it is. Uncle Bob. Come on. Don't don't do that. But at the same time, try to recognize That that place, that manipulation, is typically coming from two places. Now, the first one is a sinful, selfish place. But the second place is a place of real, real, either fear or anxiety or something. And you need to recognize that. So when you call out Uncle Bob, you, Uncle Bob, you're trying to manipulate me. You shouldn't do that. Uncle Bob, if you're lonely, go join a gym. Go join a lodge of some kind. Go make some friends, go volunteer in the community, go do something. Recognize where it's coming from, but recognize it for what it is and call it out. But at the same time, recognize that all of us have the capacity to be, and at some point will or have, will be Uncle Bob. We've all done it in one way, shape, or form. Whether it's the silent treatment, you know, men will often use, you know, try to manipulate money, you know, or guilt is always there, whatever it is. We are all guilty of it, and there's a reason for it. One Christian counselor put it this way. He said manipulation arises from a sinful part of ourself that he calls self-addiction. We are all addicted to ourselves. Now, that shouldn't surprise you if you think about it. Who do you spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week with? Yourself. Who do you think about most of the time? Yourself. So is it any wonder that when a situation arises within a relationship that you don't think you're going to get what you want, that that addiction kicks in? Of course it does. And so you need to, you need to see that. You need to see we can all be Uncle Bob's. We can all be Jacob. We all have the capacity to do that. And yet, where are we right now? We're all in church together. because we're all sinners saved by grace. And we need to recognize that. Even with Uncle Bob, even with Jacob, why would God choose a jerk like Jacob through which the Messiah would come? Do we really have the right to look down on Jacob? Now, we learn this very early on. If a baby, a young child, is uncomfortable, they need their diaper changed, they're hungry, they're scared, what do they do? They cry, they scream, and they keep doing it until what? Either they wear themselves out or somebody comes and picks them up. So they learn this very early on. Oh, if I throw a fit, people come give me what I want. Now, we understand that at six months. The problem is when it's happening when it's 16 years of age, or 36, or 66, or on and on. Then we have a problem, but it happens, and it all comes from our addiction to self. Now, we have a lot of addiction in this area, do we not? Here's the problem. If you have somebody who's addicted to a substance, it is possible that if that person wants to get help, to send them to a facility where after 30 days or 60 days or 90 days, they can come out detoxed and they're going to be okay. Where do you send somebody to detox from your addiction to self? Because even if we sent you to a facility, you're still with you thinking about you. So, what do we do? One, if it's done to you, I told you how to deal with it. Two, if you're deal if you're doing it and you get caught and you get called out, cop to it, repent, move on. You do not have to manipulate. We are adults. We can converse. I know that seems very strange in this culture where if you say the wrong thing or even the wrong way, People point their finger at you, and they call you either a commie or a fascist or whatever, you know, and, and they just label you and they move on. I know that. But the church needs to lead the way in actually conversing. You can express your feelings. You can just state, you know, I really don't want you to leave because I'm just, I'm really lonely. The you other know, the person can say, you know what, if I had the time, I would stay, but I have other things I have to do. And you as an adult need to go. I understand that. That's the way that's supposed to work. Christians are supposed to be the grown-ups in the room. That's the way it is. And this, if we don't do something about it, and I'll get to how we ultimately deal with it and how it was dealt with in Jacob in just a second when we get to Genesis 32. But I want you to hear this before I move into the second part and start to wrap up. I want you to hear this. I heard a counselor say this once, and this deal, any kind of sin problem you have, any kind of emotional problem you have, you will repeat what is not repaired. You will repeat what is not repaired. It's not just going to magically go away. So, how does this deal with Jacob? All right, so Jacob, he runs off. We pick up the story again. Jacob has run off. He's got two wives now. He's decided that despite the fact that he does have a lot of wealth, that what he really wants is his home. So he decides to go home, but he's got a problem. Esau's still there. And for all he knows, Esau is still piping hot. So the very first thing that Jacob does is he takes a bunch of his wealth, sends a bunch of his servants, packs them on donkeys, sends his wealth and goes, give that to Esau, give him that gift, and then tell him I'm coming. What is Jacob doing again? He's trying to manipulate Esau again. And then he sends a message to Esau, and he says, meet me alone. Why is he saying meet me alone? Well, one, he's afraid he's going to come with a whole just pit of, of really big guys. And two, he knows that if he's alone, he's got a better chance to plead his case and get some pity and squirt some tears and all the other kind of stuff. Jacob's still manipulating. That's where we pick it up in Genesis 32, 22. Genesis thirty-two twenty-two. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives and his 11 sons, and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name, the man asked. Jacob, he replied. Well, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. And even today, the people of Israel don't eat the tendon near the hip socket, because what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip? All right, let's unpack that for a second. Jacob is camping out, believing that the next day he's going to meet the person he has been struggling with his whole life. Then, in the middle of the night, some guy just comes up behind him and grabs him and starts fighting with him. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever been at night, Somewhere, But if somebody just comes up, some stranger comes up and grabs you, that's a life or death situation. There's no cop that Jacob can call to. Jacob is fighting for his life, and he knows it. And the fight goes on all night long because Jacob's a strong guy. And he says he has struggled with God, and he has seen God face to face. Now, the first question you're saying is how could God lose a wrestling match? Well, obviously he was holding back, and you want to know how you know? Because when he says, enough's enough, I'm done with this, and Jacob says no, he goes like this to his hip and knocks it out of socket. I want you to be very clear. The Hebrew does not say, he punched him, he grabbed him, he kicked him. No, 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 he touched him, and boom, he's got a permanent limp. You think he could have turned it on anytime he wanted to? What's God doing there? See, God often does things that we look at as strange, but you need to understand that symbols are very powerful and sometimes God does things in a very symbolic way. Wrestling with God, struggling with God is a powerful symbol for, I don't know, our whole lives. And we tend to treat God like human, like we can manipulate him, and we can get what we want, and we can do all this kind of stuff. And Jacob learns the hard way that just with a touch, he can put you down. Jacob learns that day that it wasn't Esau he'd been struggling with his whole life. It was God. God. And God gives him a new name. And this is how we know Jacob has begun to change. In the Bible, if God gives you a new name, he has given you a new purpose. He says, you are no longer Jacob, which means usurper, insurrectionist, rebel. He said, your name now is the one who struggles with God. And wins. Now you may or not, you may not know this. If you have come to Christ, if you have truly had an experience with God and you have come to Christ, you have a new name, a new identity. You are no longer such and such as kid from such and such town from such and such school who does such and such job. That stuff will fade away. You are now in Christ. Again and again and again, the scriptures say you are in Christ. First Corinthians one three. You are in Christ. What does that mean? Best way I've ever heard it described was an author by the name of Donald Miller. Donald Miller said that what happens when you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and you come to faith in Jesus Christ and you're baptized into Jesus Christ, What has happened is Jesus has paid the penalty for your sins on the cross, and then he has taken his perfect life and given it to you. And Miller says the way you need to picture that is it's as if Jesus has drawn you in so close to himself that when the Father looks at you, he only sees the Son. That's what it means to be in Christ. Now Israel, as he's known, is still going to have some issues. Wasn't it after that, even after that night, when he realized he'd been come face to face with God Himself, that everything changed and he became a perfect person? He had to grow. We all have to grow. We all continue to wrestle with God, and that is painful. Anybody who tells you it isn't is selling you something. When my son was young, man, this is how you know you're old. It just seems like yesterday that Jackson, my son, was yay big, and he was sitting at the breakfast table, and I would sit there and read to him every morning while he ate. And if I wasn't traveling, I'd read to him every night. He's now this big. I don't know where he got the height from. He's 6'2". And he introduced me to his girlfriend this week. It's all right. We'll see. Um, But one of the books that I would read to Jackson was he loved the Chronicles of Narnia series. And a lot of people know the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but there are actually seven books in the series. And one of them is called The Voyage of the Dawn Trader, and and in it you have this one little kid who's just a rotten little brat, a little Jacob, if you will, except his name is Eustace Scrubs. And C.S. Lewis writes that he was so rotten he almost deserved the name. And Eustace is so nasty to everyone that eventually, in this magical land of Narnia, he wakes up one morning and he is covered in scales. He has become a beast. And Aslan, the lion, who is the, the Christ character in the book, shows up. And so everyone just assumes Aslan's just going to you know, say a word and, and the scales will disappear. And Aslan says, Nope, that's not how this works. Aslan has to bite in and pull the scales off painfully one by one. Lewis, who is a devout Christian, was saying this is what it means to struggle with God. And we're all going to go through it. And the only way to keep getting those scales, peeling those scales off one by one by one by one is to struggle with God every single day and to remember our true identity because nothing else, it is only that that can break us from self-addiction and detox us from sin. To truly live as if we are in Christ. But what is part of that struggle? It's the same struggle Jacob had. Jacob wants it all. He wants to be the eldest son. He wants the blessing. He wants the money. He wants everything. And what he had to learn after struggling with God is that you can't have everything because it will completely disorient your priorities and send you off on the wrong path. You can't do it. What Jacob came to realize and what each one of us need to realize each and every single day, and I am not saying that it is easy, is that we don't need the blessings of the world We need the blessings of the creator of the world. We all are addicted to ourselves. We are all addicts. And it manifests itself in sinful ways. And it is only by recognizing every day that if you have come to faith, you are in Christ and reminding yourself of what that has cost God so that you could be in Christ, that you will ever make room for the Holy Spirit to do its work to make you more like Christ. It's a long and painful journey, but it's a rewarding one And it's one we're supposed to do together. I don't know about you, but I'm getting hot and I'm done. Shall we pray and get out of here? Let's do it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And that even events that happened thousands of years ago still have relevance to us today because we all manipulate and that all stems from our addiction to self, which is rooted in our own sinfulness, our own selfishness. May we quit trying to manipulate to get our own way and prayerfully seek your way, knowing that it's going to hurt, but that the end will be worth it and may we do so together. May we truly realize that what we're not struggling with are other people, but primarily with our distance from you. I pray that everyone here has a true encounter with you, and takes their struggle with you and their sin seriously, and is reminded and comforted always by the gospel and their brothers and sisters here in this church. I pray this in your name, in which I hope everyone here is in. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Folks, remember to be praying over those in your bulletin. Uh, Be praying for those traveling, uh, especially my wife as she comes home this week. And when she gets home, I will take all three puppies and go, Here. Because then in three days, she turns around and leaves me again for Florida. But anyway, I at least get a three-day break. God bless you. God goes with you. Lord willing. See you next time. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 1030 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.